A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, welcome to this special edition of the Black Maria podcast. The date is currently Sunday the 28th of May. We are 11 days away from the snap general election that Theresa May, our current Prime Minister, called earlier this year. I'm sitting here with Richard and Israel. How are you guys doing? I'm good, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah? Yeah. So, I mean, today we're going to be talking about um, the general election that's upcoming, some of the things that we're thinking about towards who we're voting for or if yeah. we're voting at all, um, the kinds of things that Christians should be thinking of when they're deciding to cast their ballots in elections for their MPs and more generally the political party to lead the nation. Mm. Um, before we start, do yeah. you guys know who you're voting for? No, <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. Obviously, at the moment, I'm still uh, trying my best just to assess the various parties, uh, their various manifestos, what's actually implicit in terms of what they actually intend to push forward and what they intend to, to strip down, etc. And what's actually explicit as well. Uh, so publicly declared in their manifestos. Um, both of those things are playing quite a large part in my mind at the moment. And I'm just trying to really assess uh, where I think or who I think my vote lies best with. Uh, so, yeah. How about you, Israel? Uh, I'm, I'm oscillating between two options. I won't mention what the options are. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think all three of us, uh, I'll, I'll call it on the fence because... We haven't decided who we're voting mm. for yet. Mm. Um, but I think it's a good thing that we're able to sit down and perhaps kind of talk about uh, from a Christian perspective mm. how we'll be able to come to the conclusions about who we vote. That's not to say that we'll vote for the same parties no. necessarily. Because um, Damien Israel might vote wrongly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and on the flip side... This is how you start a fight. Exactly. <laughs> um, um, but hopefully as we, as we go through this podcast, we'll be able to tease out some of the thoughts that are coming to our mind. Of course. Of I course. think just as a kind of precursor to the discussions, it's perhaps important for me to kind of give just a bit of background on the um, electoral system in Please. the UK. Yeah. So <clears throat> we currently use the first past the post system um, in some places also known as the single member plurality or the simple majority voting uh, system. That basically means that... Um, Votes take place in constituencies. There are about 650 constituencies in the UK. That includes Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, voters put a cross on a ballot paper next to their favoured candidate for their constituency and the candidate with the most votes in the constituency wins. Mm-hmm. That's it. Pretty simple. No proportional representation. So yeah. it's not a popular vote. It literally yeah. just means the person with the most amount of votes in a constituency wins. Um that you, particular constituency. That particular constituency. Now, we add up all the constituencies at the end of the voting, mm. and whoever has 325 plus mm. is effectively the governing party in the United Kingdom, or should I say the House of Commons, uh, rather. Um, in terms of who you're voting for, please be mindful of the fact that you're not voting for a particular prime ministerial candidate. candidate. Um, so it's not as if you're voting for Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. You'll be voting for your local constituency MP. So if you haven't already had a chance to check mm. out what it is that they're planning to do in your local community, 
we'd advise that you definitely do that. That's just as important as checking out what Corbyn or Theresa May are saying. Or Tim Farron. Or the Green Party. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or UKIP. Um, Or SNP. Um, I know them. You, we, we, I think it's, it's easy for us to see the impact that, rightly so, the impact that a prime minister will have on the nation. But what's also important is that your MP will have an impact in your local area. Mm. Um, and so you want to consider that in equal footing with the general manifestos of the parties. Yeah. All right. So to kick us off, um, I guess it's first important for us to est- it's important for us to establish why government matters at all. And if we should vote, why should we vote? Or do we have conscience to not vote, etc.? So, yeah, kick us off. Um, so, so, the two parts of that question. Uh, first yeah. of all, why government matters? And then secondly, the whole issue of voting. Mm-hmm. Government matters because the government has been ordained by God. We find that directly stated in Romans 13. Yeah. Um, what's, <laughs> so, so, what's funny is, um, it, means, it means, first of all, Found foundation foundational work we should do that the government is a good thing that God gave to his creation um, agreed it therefore means that we should think about government in line with how God originally designed government to be or what God's intentions are with government um, therefore it means we shouldn't this is the part I was funny sorry so I had to backtrack a bit it therefore means we should not overlook government as easily as I think we we tend to do and think, oh, parties, you know, politicians being politicians, whatever, you know, um, I roll my eyes and then sort of move on. No, there's actually... Particularly within the Christian sphere, almost, as though it's not something that we should be involved in. Yeah, so we just watch it from a distance and think, ah, they're arguing and debating over policies, I'm not really following, but there's no obligation for me to, and I'm going to move on. No, it's not calling everyone to be a an expert in politics, but it. But Romans thirteen calls us to be invested in some degree in our understanding of the government. Um, with regards to voting, uh, therefore it means if God has created government, He's ordained it, and it's for our good. Um, it means that we should take seriously our responsibilities. That have been given to us by our government. Yeah. I say that because Romans 13 does not inherently argue for democracy. No, no. not at all. Yeah. So this it was, was it was during a monarchy. Yeah, well. it was, yeah, it was it was so you had um what's his name? Empress, you know, Julius Caesar, Nero. Caesar Augustus, the like. Yeah, yeah. And and it wasn't a voting um process. However, what you see is Paul still saying be concerned with how it's structured and know how to think about them rightly. Which means that if now we are given some sort of power, political power, in voting, it's dishonouring to Christ to then say that that vote doesn't matter. What we do with it is a reflection of our thoughts about government, a reflection about what we think um, God's word says in Romans 13. And actually, voting is a way of honouring Christ and his lordship. Mm. I think I'm going to take it from a slightly different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 13, obviously, again, same text. Um, it is literally the locus classicus, the one of the go-to texts when it comes to this kind of topic. Um, but it speaks about the government as uh, the means by which the Lord uses to uphold justice, um, 
having been established by God and they exercise the authority of God. And I think Romans 13 verse 6 in particular is quite interesting because then it goes to apply this upholding of justice even to taxes, saying that this is the reason why we pay taxes because the government is through it essentially using it as a means to exercise justice and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's quite an interesting one. Um, so yeah, understanding that and understanding that that's the role of government, one of the primary roles of government uh, that's constantly reiterated in the scriptures. It's also reiterated in 1 Peter chapter 2, for example. Um, you then get this, we then move to this, as Israel said, to this democratic system that's not necessarily the case during the, the historical, con it's not the historical context that we find ourselves in during the period of Romans. However, if the government is in place, to uphold justice and we've got a role to play in deciding who that government is mm -hmm. we must then vote in line um with this particular duty so we must ensure that the government we are selecting are those who will uphold the justice um justice for the nation and thus uh those who seek the good of the nation um i mean so you, you guys have mentioned romans 13 um first peter 2 yeah i think it's verse 13 to 17 there's also discussion on our uh, duties to submit to authorities of in course, yeah. First Timothy 2 and in Titus chapter 3. I think the fact that Paul mentions it three times and Peter mentions it once um, gives us cause to reflect upon the fact that we shouldn't just be dismissive of our duties to submit to the authorities. I think it solely stops at praying you Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a way in which we can um, involve ourselves in the political system, in, in God's providence, and so I think it's to be encouraged for us to uh, use that mandate that we have biblically. Um, Especially as stewards as well. We mm. shouldn't forget that. As those who are actually, um, by the way, even called to exercise dominion, to subdue and rule in all the earth. Um, when we are in our various contexts, something that we actually get to see is that when all is said and done, um, this is a means for us to exercise that dominion. Um, to actually select how and who we would like to um, to to rule over us in a way whereby that they would best uh, push forward uh, uh, that which is good for the public right. society, etc. I wanted to add a, a caveat to what I said, and I guess I mean you want to so continue on with what Richard has said. Um, it's voting, not voting, is not necessarily a sin. Um, what is a sin i think is a type of willing passivity towards politics yeah. um so someone can choose not to vote as a political action as a political statement towards their democracy towards their government what we are saying somebody shouldn't do is to dismiss it as unimportant or something that shouldn't be considered or is not worthy of my time the passive um willing passiveness towards government is what we're sort of like saying that the bible doesn't give us that space yeah and anyway when you don't vote you're still making a vote ultimately because you're deciding to give a heavier weight to everyone else's vote so so it, it still plays its role uh, nevertheless cool so i guess we we can uh surmise from that that obviously one it's important to be aware of what's happening politically mm -hmm. um to be engaged um there's no compulsion on you to vote, but I think it would be encouraged, even yeah. if you're not pleased with the candidates that are put before you. Yeah. You still have the option to exercise your no vote on the ballot paper. Um, so 
beyond that then i guess it's a chance for us to look at some of the things that we've identified <clears throat> in the policies of the parties that will be running for elections in our local constituencies i mean there's a range of political parties from the you know the, the two most known labor and conservatives right down to the monster raving loony party mm. we're just going to try and um stick to some of the kind of main policy areas mm. or themes that um mm. uh, we think will be quite crucial in christians deciding who they're going to vote for in the election so having considered the manifestos of some of the leading parties running for power in this election are there any pledges you guys have seen that you think Christians should affirm? Or are there any Christians you think should reject and perhaps uh, vote against when they're making their decisions on who they'd like to see in hey, power? Okay, before we jump into this, something we have to affirm from the jump um, it, is that all the parties uh, are run by sinners. Um, we have to affirm that much at the very least. Um, obviously, in God's common grace, uh, there's there's an element in which God allows men to to do some good and to and to and to write some good policies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, however, there are many policies, you know, which are unfortunately um, unjust um, policies that uh, start to have government uh, infringing, imposing their their sinful beliefs on on, for example, the church, even. And it's uh, it's unfortunate, and that and that has to be understood. So now, when it comes to voting for any party, we have to remember we're not voting between um, God and the golden calf here. Uh, we're literally voting between um, you know <laughs> the golden oh, calf and the golden oh, mule, almost in one sense. Like mm. it's it's you're sli you're slightly you're, you're we're slightly voting for for parties that have all got elements, strong yeah. elements of sin. There uh, isn't a righteous party that represents the kingdom of God on earth. No, 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 no one. All right, so that being said, uh, Izzy, Dami, what do you man think uh, with regards to the values that we should, um, or the policies that we should value and we should and we should push forward and the policies that we should really reject? Um, so, I mean, as Christians, one of the things that we'll be looking out for in any party manifesto is how a potential government seeks to either um, retain the freedom of the church Mm. Um, to preach the gospel or how it would seek to curtail it um, which is which is still an application of the justice which uh, that the uh, government should be uh, seeking, seeking to, to uphold. uphold yeah um so just in the analysis of the conservative manifesto there's been some discussions um there about them wanting to impose an equality oath and offsted inspections of institutions that teach children for more than 6 hours in any week um <clears throat> i mean this is all part of their aims to uh, prevent anti-radicalization yeah i mean some people have come out and said it's particularly aimed at muslims but actually in an attempt to make sure that this redresses any kind of quote-unquote extremism they'll be going into the teaching spheres of any particular faith group and so that for example would also mean offset inspections potentially of sunday schools things like holiday Bible clubs, mm. uh, where churches will be seeking to teach young children the truth about the Christian faith and the gospel. And and it's worthwhile mentioning that the extremism that, they, that they're looking for at that moment is anything that doesn't uh, go in line with British values. Which 
are ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, are yeah. Ambiguous, um, which seem to go against the biblical understanding of um, man and woman and, 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 and marriage and how that should look, etc. Uh, so it, it becomes, yeah, the danger is that it becomes an avenue um, for the state to overlap its authority into the church. Yeah. Um, and so just as, and I mean, people are so, so vocal with this, the church should be separate from the state. The church should not be involved in um, sort of, you know, state decisions and, and political authority matters, yeah. and power to sort of have charge and decision-making over certain things. And it has to work the other way, which is the concern that it's not working the other way, that although the society understands that the church shouldn't come in and tell um, Theresa May what to do, the inverse should be the case that, you know, you don't have the government coming into the church saying, okay, we're going to exercise political power over what you say and do and etc. Mm. Thankfully, mm -hmm. the Lib Dems and Labour Party have called it hogwash. They've called <laughs> these plans um, unnecessary and described prevent as counterproductive. I mean, prevent is particularly aimed at tackling extremism as it links to fundamentalist kind of yeah, ideology yeah, and yeah. terrorism. So that in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But I think when we're considering, you know, how could the free preaching of the be the of the gospel be curtailed in churches? That is something that, okay, raised alarm in my mind that okay, if I'm gonna be thinking about voting for a particular party's manifesto, I have to be conscious of their penchant to want to impose um on the church. Mm. I mean, Israel, was there anything that you saw in the manifestos that you thought I could either affirm this or not so much? One of the policies from the Labour Manifesto that I'm in favour of is Labour's promises to appoint a global ambassador for religious freedom. Um, and I think for Christians, this is a very promising proposal because of the recent rise in persecution of Christians. Yeah. Um, especially in this year, 2016, we've seen a lot of attacks committed um, against Christians, not just in um, majority Muslim countries, but we're talking North Korea, a lot of places in Africa. Yeah. Um, one recently this week in Egypt. Yeah, and so I think the the idea of having someone who's actually dedicated to the work of trying to support religious freedom yeah. globally mm -hmm. is something that's encouraging for Christians. Yeah, I mean, um, to be fair, that's not particularly exclusive to the Labour Party, so I guess this is something we can commend in um, the Lib Dems policy and also in the Conservatives, in that they're all to some degree seeking to um, have some kind of political envoy that promotes the interests of religious freedom globally. Um, but whilst also trying to tackle what they see as extremism, especially in the case of the Conservatives, for example, and some of their policies. Yeah. Um, I think for me, something that, I've, that I'm really starting to... Uh, that's really starting to get to me quite a bit as I, as I think about it is just the influence of some of these parties when it comes to... Uh, the sphere of education as well. Um, it seems as though, um, again, this it comes back to that whole idea of British values, but it's it's parties trying to force their views of morality, um, their views of 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 things like religious institutions such as marriage, um, things that have been ordained by God Himself, and try to redefine that which already has. Um, 
a universal, consistent definition and has had a consistent definition throughout human history since the creation, as we see in Genesis, uh, Genesis 2 in particular, that God made man and woman and then said, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam sees Eve and says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and he starts speaking poetry and stuff like that. That that's that's as far as we can see, that is the the single definition, for example, of marriage. But now we want to teach our kids um, that that is not the only form of marriage. And anyone and we want to say that anyone who does teach that is actually indoctrinating their children. And it can't be seen from their in their eyes as indoctrination to teach the opposite. And um, to teach that there is a different definition of marriage. Do you know what I mean? And and this is and to make that as as quite a few of them are, make to make that compulsory a compulsory part of education from primary school, for example, um, we must affirm that that is really a that's quite devastating. A nation ultimately is determined by the children, um, by the by the youths. You, you want to know where a nation is going in twenty, thirty, forty years? Yeah. You look at the children they have now, yeah. and you look at where they, what kind of values are being instilled into the children. You control the children. You're going to ultimately control where we are, where we're going to end up in 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 X number of years. And if you're normalizing sin now, you're going to ultimately it's going to have a devastating effect on the, on, on the view of marriage 30 years down the line. But specifically, when we're looking at, say, component parts of policy, um, so the Conservatives have suggested that they want to introduce um, relationship education, which has no right of withdrawal for parents. I think that's quite significant because it's an attempt to level um, sex education to mere education. And I think, in a sense, it wants to undermine the the sensitivity of just sex in general like yeah. it is it isn't maths it is not the kind of thing that you know you just your child you know i don't know seven eight year old son or daughter comes home and says oh yeah we i did algebra today it's not the same thing as i learnt what mm. full-blown intercourse is those are two different tr- it's, it's um, this naturalistic perspective they're trying to essentially um say that okay when it comes to sexual relations it's merely a biological process and there are no you know spiritual ramifications there is no spiritual importance um when it comes to these kind of things it doesn't signify anything um when it comes to who it's with uh what it suggests all those kind of things in 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 their mind they're trying to say you know it's purely biological and thus we have the right to teach it and the fact they don't give the parents the right to withdraw the children actually says in my mind that they are trying to um, suggest that whatever opinions or thoughts the parents do have regarding this, they do not have the right to um, to impose it upon or to teach their children. And on top of spiritual importance, it, it wants to undermine cultural importance. Um, so the reason I even gave Matt an example is because across the board, whether you grew up in an Arab house household or a Nigerian household or just a white British household. Yeah. Maths is, by and large, I guess is not absolute, looked upon the same. Clearly, the issue of sex isn't. And I think part of the government's um, responsibility to govern world is to is to accept that cultures do differ on this sensitive topic. And that should be reflected in the way it's handled in the public education system. Mm. Another one of the um, key battlegrounds, I guess, that people will be looking at when they're 
making their assessments about the manifestos mm. um is the policies geared towards um equality yeah um so we've spoken a bit about um sex and relationships education but more specifically on um transsexualism and transgender rights um and labor specifically mm. um say that they wish to reform the gender recognition act and equality act 2010 um to protect trans people that involves um removing the definition uh, transsexual because they consider it to be outdated um but also um the revoking of the gender recognition act i think when i'm thinking about this biblically does more to take away from the creation ordinance of man and women made in the image of god yeah um with sexual personhood being linked to god's design good design yeah uh, for man and for women to coexist in a mutually beneficial relationship mm. for uh, vice agency mm. over god's good creation that's solid tell them one more policy i'll mention i actually am in favor of labor's um, po- um plan to eventually abolish well not sorry eventually democratize the house of lords um and to make all house of lords members democratically elected um and they said that in the interim they will seek to end the hereditary principle and reduce the size of the current house of lords i think it's been a a a topic of discussion within especially within humanist um dialogue because of the view that the UK is not really a separation of church and state since the House of Lords still allocates like seats exclusively for Church of England bishops. Um, since there's still this sort of hereditary principle that says some people are just given, um, this seat by virtue of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to better reflect a democracy, decision makers, who, yeah. You know, since the bills do have to go to the House of Lords, should be elected. Yeah, yeah, just as the House of Commons um, members are elected, and actually, I'm in favour of that, just as a better way of reflecting the separation of church and state. That's fair, but then I guess, really, just moving on from that, in a sense, having stated various uh, things that we prioritise, various things that we're for, and various things that we're against, is there anything in that sense that we should be prioritising? So I know that. For example, a party might be pro-freedom for the church in a particular way that you're particularly in favour of, but they might be against the biblical understanding of marriage. And thus, when it comes to education, they have particularly aggressive policies when it comes to that particular front that you just wouldn't be able to agree with. So what should we actually prioritise? What don't we mind putting on the backbone almost? So as it pertains to your question, Richard, when I was thinking through the discourse in Romans 13 Uh um, and how governing authorities are instituted by God um, as a cause for good <clears throat> and also for repaying evil. Yeah. I think Paul's discourse about them wielding the sword to be able to carry out God's wrath on wrongdoers mm. suggests to me that Christians should have, not only, but should have a particular regard for how a government deals with things such as security, uh, criminal justice, mm. policing, um, and things that pertain to the government's role in dealing with quote unquote evil. Yeah. Um, and I looked at it and I thought, okay, 
this means that when we're reviewing a policy or a manifesto, we're looking at these things, not just in terms of what they plan to do to be able to exact justice mm -hmm. on wrongdoers, but also if there are appropriate mechanisms. Yeah. So I'm thinking about things like stop and search. Yeah. Is that something that I can say one works to deter evil as well as punish it, but is it being done proportionately? Yeah, which is key. Is it, is it, is it being done... Equitably. Equitably. Stuff. Is it yeah. being done in a way in which evidence is the righteous way to deter criminality, if you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, okay. So from that perspective, I thought, okay, this doesn't necessarily have to be looked at um, more so, potentially, um, than policies around the NHS and stuff like that. But, but it is a key... It is a component. key area, I think in Paul's discourse on the role of government in Romans 13. I think I think something that I'm ch I'm still trying to grapple with here in Romans 13. Mm. Like I said, Romans 13:6, Paul goes out of his way to literally say this is why you pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Um it's off this discourse that follows authority, then the government wielding the sword, not doing it to 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 scare those who do good, but to essentially to deal with those who do, do that, bad. which is bad. Yeah. Um. But then he literally goes and says, "This is why. Yeah. Like this is the very reason that you guys pay taxes." And essentially, in my mind, he almost reaches for an example just to that's that's not necessarily exhaustive of the government's role, mm -hmm. but an example that almost seeks to show and demonstrate uh, the breadth of the applicability it's of good. getting justice. Mm -hmm. Matter that's good. <laughs> um. And also the level of authority that they can actually exercise to, to claim somebody's earned goods mm. and to say that we require a proportion of that in order to do good for all men um, within a particular society. So I'm so even though I'm completely with you in one sense and saying, do you know what, boom, uh, criminal justice, um, dealing with uh, like prison systems and overcrowding and all these different mm -hmm. kind of things and, and making sure that we're judging equitably in, in one sense is... Um, should be a priority i'm also thinking does it mean that our priority should then slowly decrease the the less relevant it probably does our priority should slowly decrease as it as it gets less and less relevant to um to actually dealing with justice but in one sense actually on top of that i guess if the see i'm, I'm practically musing out loud almost if the <laughs> if the if the government is beginning to impose itself mm upon areas whereby they are no longer dealing with justice but they're just trying to inherently change what certain things like for example education should look like and whatnot and it's not actually a means for them trying to, to deal with justice and at that point that government is actually missing the point and maybe it means at that point we shouldn't actually be de shouldn't actually be thinking about voting that government because they've actually missed the mark completely as to what government should be doing um from a biblical perspective israel um <clears throat> that was a good word, brother. Um, your your point about sort of the justice being connected to taxes got me thinking about a priority, I guess, being actually how well does the government steward resources? Mm. Um, I I think this is probably a, presently applicable, most applicable, probably only, but most applicable to the Conservative Party. So I guess one of the questions we can ask is, okay, since the role of the government is to execute justice, um, reward good, punish evil, um, and then one of the, and therefore it has a legitimate claim on people's money in order to execute that, 
Yeah. The question now is, in our present government, has that been done? Yeah, that's Have a big question. they used the resources that they can take, um, according to Romans 13, to actually go about the role that God has given the government? And if that isn't the case, that can actually weigh in on your decision. Yeah. And if it is, then again, that weighs in on your decision because you think, okay, they do use the resources mm. appropriately. So are you going to give us your verdict on the last <laughs> um, <laughs> conservative and Lib Dem coalition government? Don't set me up. And no? the, the snap came in too quickly for us to determine. <laughs> I mean, to, to, at one of the days, going into the details of like how our government has looked after its resources can be extremely difficult and probably very, very long. There was a report regarding the Iraq war. That only came out recently. Yeah. And it was a lot more thorough than I think what most people could have stead in the moment um so what so i guess one of the things i want to say is that it's not necessarily a turn on bbc news look at what's been said in a, in a debate and make a decision are they stewarding are they stewarding well or not it can be sufficiently complex enough for it to to warrant time and patience in terms of trying to assess yeah the the work of a government it it, it most likely isn't an overnight sort of conclusion. Yeah. Can we do it in 11 days? Because <laughs> that's what we're avoiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can, get, you you can, can get, get, yeah. you can get a good idea yeah, in I 11 think, days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> the aim is to get as big a picture as you can. This is, right. so there isn't a impetus or, or moral obligation to have a full blown report made on the government and even the opposing party in their past votes. But it is to, to, to say that we do need to be a bit more thorough in how we assess the job that the current government is doing. Or previous governments. So well, yeah, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Labour government of 97 to 2010. Yeah. And whether the party proposing a Labour leadership will reflect the misgivings or successes of that previous government. Yeah. Or whether they'll are likely to fail given the resources that will be available to them in the new parliamentary tenure. Yeah. Were there any things that you perhaps considered, say, like the NHS and tax breaks as uh, competing ideals for any of the parties? Or did you think one of these things is more of a pressing concern for this nation than the other? Um, I, I definitely think, you know, I'm, I'm still wrapped up on what Israel was saying. The stewardship of resources, I think, is a very big thing. Um, as far as I'm aware, we have a large amount of debt, mm. um, and that's something that that really should be addressed. Mm. Uh, I think one of the first clear pictures of uh, of government in any sense that we really see in the scriptures um, of proper government, other than obviously Genesis two, is uh, is actually with Joseph when we see that Joseph um, is taken out of prison and is brought and is and is raised up. But one of the key things in which Joseph is actually involved in is determining how much uh, resource, uh, how much food, etc., should be taken from the people and how that should be stored in order to ultimately provide for a rainy day um, mm -hmm. for the country. Obviously, there was the element of prophecy and those kind of things involved. And I'm not expecting you guys to now go out and, and, to, and to find out which one of the candidates is a prophet. Do you right. know what I mean? Corbyn or May. However, at the same time, I do, I do think that you can literally... Uh, just take a look, as Israel's been saying, at their policies, look at who put us in this position, even when it comes to this intense amount of debt. 
um, and just see what people and, and, and just see what are people doing to really address this particular issue. Israel's looking at me like to say, <laughs> I know you're thinking leaning towards Labour. And it was Labour that got us into position. I did not say that. Our budget deficit. I did mm. not say that. All I will say, actually, <laughs> what I will say actually is, I didn't say he said it, by the way. I said he was looking at I me. I did like, not. I did not say that. That's his interpretation. Cool. That's subjective interpretation. Cool, cool, cool. Um, that is a that is an important topic, and I think the reason it's easy to overlook, in contrast to like the NHS, which is an important topic as well, but the reason it's easy to overlook is because it doesn't have immediate consequences. Um, stuff like debts and you know those financial issues they don't appear as obvious to us as the waiting time in the A and E increasing by thirty minutes that you can true sort of see immediately if a government isn't dealing with debt then they're extending a problem that will that will eventually show itself out in a in a big way in a big way in the future yeah um, so that is to say yeah take seriously the debt issue. Yeah, so I guess in my mind, when all is said and done, the way that the government seeks to deal with the issue of debt, the way the government seeks to steward its resources, etc., those things play quite a large role and should play quite a large role in um, my thinking when it comes to what the government should actually be prioritising. Because it is a long-term issue, even though it might not necessarily have uh, short-term ramifications. And one of the other things that I think should be a priority, not just for the government, but for Christians as we consider um, the different parties and coming elections, is the way the government, the state, looks after the most vulnerable in society. Mm. Especially in... So so the point isn't that the government shouldn't care for those who can look after themselves. So I'm going to use the stereotypical middle class. Um, it is not that the government shouldn't care about the middle class. It is saying that clearly... The middle class and those who are at the lowest in society are in different places. And does the government recognise that? And how does the government try to meet that difference um, by looking for looking after those who genuinely cannot look after the, after themselves or who have found a, who have found themselves in a circumstance that means that they are not well off enough to be able to make ends meet and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that's actually quite a biblical principle because we find even in Old Testament when God is given his laws in Deuteronomy to the nation of Israel one of the laws he gives is that when you are cutting your um, wheat leave the edges of your of your um, acres for the sojourn or the person who's passing by and the idea here is that make sure you accommodate for those who don't have acres and who can't grow their own crops because they don't have land, leave some of your crops to the edges so that if they are walking through and they have nothing to eat, they can glean and take from yours. Um, God here communicating the idea that we should care for those who don't have as many advantages as you know us who are well off. Mm. And I think that's an important biblical principle that we want to see. Mm. We want to see imitated in the government. Yeah, I mean, just running off at the back of that, I think. Um, as you refer to the Old Testament, the command for us to love our, love our neighbour as we love ourselves, mm. I think the way in which we engage in politics can be a very real uh, demonstration of how we fulfil that biblical mm. demand. Um, so, I mean, 
if you care about your neighbor, for example, that also means caring for those who are homeless, caring for those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, yeah, sick, yeah. mentally ill, all of those kind of things. And so the way in which a government intends to, or a potential government intends to deal with those kinds of issues, and then how you choose to vote on that basis can be indicative of how you respond to Christ's command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. On that note, I guess a question, uh, just a side question to you guys is then, someone like Corbyn, right, mm -hmm. has been putting out, uh, he's actually taken, I think, Tony Blair's uh, uh, slogan, um, for the many, not the few. Yeah. Uh, what, what, and I think he's using that to justify the, the taxing of the highest earners mm -hmm. um, in the hope that it would be of benefit to the majority, right? And obviously, we also recognise that the worker deserves their wages. Um, but we recognize the government has the authority to do these kind of things. Would we say then that the the highest earners should be obliged to help the homeless, etc., because the government is imposing it upon them? Or should we say that th they should actually have the right to choose that themselves, whether they want to help? Part of the Labour Manifesto for uh, or Labour Manifesto plans for a fair taxation system. Yeah. What they've set out is that uh, there'll be no rises in income tax for those earning below 80,000 a year and no increases in personal national insurance contributions or the rate of value added tax. However, there will be increased in increases in income tax for the top 5% of earners in the country. Um, and they also seek to make some plans towards corporation tax, mm. uh, which big business has for some time been avoiding paying its fair share. Mm. Your question was, a government's aim should be to bring about the good of all people, mm -hmm. right? And to care for all people, um, the poor, the homeless, mm -hmm. the widows, the etc. You know, the those those that are usually, the people groups that are usually quite oppressed. Um, having that in mind, is there a point at which tax levels become unjust um, and actually go against the biblical principle of the worker deserving their wages? I mean, theoretically, yes. Um, an extreme example, obviously, this is not the case, is if taxation was at 100 percent yeah you just got slavery i think that that's just <laughs> I, it's clear that 100 percent tax is theft and unjust and basically communism yeah um yeah or at least the type type of communism um but um i think trying to find a number or cutoff point yeah. is actually a lot more difficult i don't think the bible gives a particular number um, for progressive income tax that at says, which, you know, at which point it gets unjust. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. But what the, what the task is for the Christian in, in assessing taxation in relation to, um, public goods is, I mean, it sort of goes out to the, to the, to the stewardship question. It, it comes down to if there's going to be an increase in tax or even a decrease in tax, it can work either way. There's going to be an increase or decrease. How does that affect the governance? Um, of the of the country, how does that affect the way um, the state would be run? Would be run, and the way um, the nation would be affected. And actually, you could you could make a case that if tax taxation or a tax increase will harm the nation, then in that instance, it would be unjust yeah. to support it. Yeah. And then the inverse is true, obviously, that if all these cuts will harm the nation and harm people, then it would be unjust to support it. Not because it's a special number, 
So it's not saying that oh it's gone up to forty now yeah. it's wrong. So there's no, but there's it's no because of the inf- of value. the effects of this increase or decrease. Yeah. So there's no intrinsic uh, goodness or badness in in taxing fifty percent, for example. It it does come down to the need, the need at the time, uh, for the nation. It's very it's very it context have, of, it's very context um, dependent. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you on that. <laughs> okay. So guys, all right. Um, how do we as Christians engage in political discussions um, while also not forgetting that our kingdom is not of this earth and actually our citizenship is in heaven which you want to go on and um well we we have to engage with politics uh remembering that primarily uh we're christians right um (coughs) and i think we just have to make sure that we look at politics in light of the biblical narrative so first obviously creation god makes all things good right good 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 ends by saying do you know what this is very good so and thereafter he then when he's made man etc he tells man go out fill the earth um subdue it um exercise dominion etc etc man then falls right which contaminates the world but the world that has been created still is god's good creation so obviously it's a it's almost like i almost want to say it's like a newborn child that has that has got a sickness unfortunately that has become ill right the world then matures we then see um it go like for example even uh creation begins in the garden of orchard eventually when all is said and done we're going to see the eschatological end at the eschaton Mm. Uh, it's going to end in a new new Jerusalem in a city, right? So we knew that creation was always going to progress in a particular way. There was always going to be the um, the interest in aesthetics. There was always going to be the development of music and musical mm. instruments. There was always going to be um, the development of education, for example. Mm. And there was always going to be poli- politics. There was always going to be a political system. There was always going to be a way in which men were meant to rule over one another. However, this child that has grown up with this sickness... Um, in, 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 in terms of the analogy, um, even though the child continues to grow and all of these things start to form, technology, um, politics, etc., etc., sin has corrupted each element. The sickness has, mm. has started to play its effect on every single aspect of this child that goes from, from, from infancy to adolescence, right? And, and all of a sudden, we have to recognize that politics does belong to God. God has created it. It was in his blueprints from creation. Mm. It always it has always belonged to him. He's always had plans for it. There's always been ways in which it's meant to work and to look. However, that doesn't do away with the fact that sin has contaminated it. So we should be heavenly creatures. You should remember that politics, in a sense, is intrinsically good. However, sin has contaminated it. And thus, we're, we're, we have to deliberate as those who are now trying to redeem politics almost. And make sure that it continues to stay in line with that which the Lord has already ordained from the beginning. One of the things I'll add is, um, continuing with what Richard said, just to just to remember that as citizens of the city of God, as um, Augustine frames it, we should not look to the state as the secret ingredient for the church's security, growth, stability, health, and so on. Um, and actually, when we, when we have our political discussions, I think what can help us remember 
that we are not um that ultimately our kingdom is not of this earth is to look to the persecuted church um the persecuted church has a lot to teach us about what it means to depend wholly exclusively and only on god mm. um for sustain for sustenance for growth um for advancement because you see i mean for example um in south korea you know i think it was over the space of a hundred years or so the um, population of christians went from one percent to 40 percent of the nation yeah yeah, um, yeah and that was yeah. all outside of you know this is not state sanctioned now everyone has to go to the church to, to church the yeah. local church school or something this was genuine heart conversion outside of political um maneuvers i mean another example is china um mm. where you see the growth of, of, of Christians in China, the growth of Christians in, in, in Africa under dictatorships. Um, China's an these... interesting one, yeah, just to watch how clearly Christianity yeah. grew due to persecution almost. And um, it, so, so, so the idea is, by looking at the persecuted church, mm. we learn, um, we are taught not to rest our, our hopes on the state, which can be a temptation for us because we feel like we have so much influence. Because there's this idea of voting and we're having all these discussions, it's easy to think and to lean towards the idea that uh, the church in England, in London, in some respect, is depending on the right person to be elected. I mean, sorry, Israel, just as, just as you're saying that, I think um, one of the things that it reminds me of is that um, one of the ways in which we can combat this um, failure for us to keep a right view of our citizenship being in heaven i think about some of the political regimes that have come into power very mm. recently um i think of the us for example um, mm. and the backlash that led that followed um donald trump's election yeah and the way in which people were almost refused to accept the legitimacy of, of his, presidency. his presidency yeah let me make it clear i'm not a donald trump fan I would have abstained from voting if I was in the US. Um, I Obviously, Dami some... doesn't speak for Black Berea. No, I don't. But, but I don't. <laughs> it doesn't mean that any of us are a fan of his character yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the voting. But I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of, and I think it's, again, I, I made this point earlier, the reason that Peter and Paul um, remind us that we are subject to authorities is ultimately because we are subject to God. Yeah. Right? And if God is the one who uh, divinely institutes these governments, it means that we don't start seeking uh, the kind of like perfect uh, utopian view of political life in this world. But we appreciate that in God's providence, somebody who perhaps we might not have even been a fan of might come into leadership. And yet we still subject to that person's authority mm. as a um, minister of God's authority mm. over the earth. Yeah, that's 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 completely Peter right there that you're mm. talking because obviously he speaks to he's speaking to people who are in the midst of persecution. Exactly. When he's telling them to submit. Yeah. You know, and you know, he even goes as far as saying it's 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 a good thing to suffer at the very least. Um it's better to suffer for doing good than mm. to suffer for doing evil. Exactly. You know? So uh so yeah, definitely see that. Definitely see that. Brother Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, Israel. <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned at on near the beginning, sort of a, a general overview of how the election works. Mm. Um, and I, I guess the question here 
to you and, and to Richard as well, um, is, is there a right way to govern? Um, is there a right form of governance or is there a preferred form of governance or is it any, like, what are your thoughts on how mm. governance should work? Is that to both of us? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm inclusive, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that policy. Um, <laughs> I guess in my mind, uh, when I think about this question, uh, and I look at, for example, the books of Exodus all the way through the rest of the Torah, and then get to um, even some of the later books like Samuel and whatnot, uh, we see the development of two key things. One, Israel as a nation, uh, that we see at the end of Genesis is, is Jacob and his sons and their wives and their children, and how that, by the start of Exodus, we see that this has really um, become an actual nation. And as the books progress, we see the development of that nation. But then the second development, which is key, is just how the leadership for this nation actually forms uh obviously god institutes like institutes uh moses to lead the people in particular but then we see it go from moses um by himself to moses who then distributes labor to the various elders to then eventually the point whereby obviously even though it was a sinful request a king um a monarchy essentially um with the likes of Saul or David, for example. Um, so what we actually see constantly is a development of government with the development of the number of people which they are actually governing. Um, there are various key principles that we see there about the delegation of work and stuff like that. But when all is said and done, what we do see, which is most clear, is that God can rule in any, um, and God can rule and reign in any kind of governmental framework. So yeah, so whether it's a democracy, um, or an oligarchy whereby just the richest people rule or it's a or a monarchy or it's an aristocracy or whatever it may be um when it comes down to it what we really want to see is the the one that i don't necessarily just want to say that which best represents the people but that one which best allows the government to act in a way that will that will bring about the social good of all people and and just really staying in line with what we saw in Romans 13 that whole wielding the authority of god for the good of society yeah, um, I'd agree with those sentiments. But just uh, flip on that question, Israel. Um, when you say, is there a right way to lead a nation? What do you think are some virtues or characteristics that you'd like to see in your nation's leaders that might be important con to consider? Um, so okay, the first one that comes to my mind is um, an inclination towards service um, and therefore an, inclina an inclination away from self-interest. Um, I think one of the things, and this is this applies to politicians in general. Um, so I think a lot of our MPs are guilty of this on the local level. Um, is that we can tend to see politicians more concerned about keeping their power, keeping their status, than actually voting. I mean, sorry, ruling with with their conscience, ruling for the sake of the people. So when I said MPs can be guilty of this as well, is that you actually find that MPs you know, politicians who want to keep their role as a career mm. will basically go for any policy that will get the most votes and keep them in office because their concern isn't so much does this um, promote the good of the people, is it for the public good, but the concern is how do I keep my seat safe? Does it promote the good of me? Yeah, essentially. and, and yeah. what we do want to see in, in, in politicians is this willingness to sacrifice self for the other that you know what the biggest concern of my of my term 
isn't actually my career because that's not what I've been called to do. I've been called to be a public servant. And so my my position should be one of service. Um, other virtues, and this is it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more of this when I watch Donald Trump, which lets you know where I stand on him. Um, things like patience. <laughs> I mean, you, you grow up thinking that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a given. That's a given, but I think it needs to be said. Patience. Diplomacy. Um, just the ability to, to, uh, engage with opposing parties well, even being willing to compromise at times. Um, an, a, a heavy handed person who is unwilling to shake and unwilling to move because. Or tries to yank your arm off when they're shaking your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's just someone who who hasn't sort of understood the fullness of leadership that leadership isn't synonymous to me getting my way all the time and and me being viewed as this untouchable figure. You're not running to be God. Um, You're running to be a leader of a nation. So those are two different jobs. Cool, cool. Um, So we'll finish up with our final question. Um, which is how can Christians maintain political action and discourse following the general election? Mm. Um, you know, what kind of things should they be doing after the elections? I'll kick us off um, and then I'll hear what you guys have to say on it. Yeah. Um, so accountability is one of the big ones. Um, Acts 529, we're subject mm. to God and not to men. And so that means in terms of policies that have been raised by political parties um, that we would consider antithetical to the Bible or the gospel, mm. um, we would seek to challenge them on those things. So things perhaps that pertain to uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide, uh, things such as um, abortion, abortion up until the policy. day of uh, thingy, ridiculous. Um, yeah, go on. So... Those are the kinds of things that uh, we need to mobilize ourselves in terms of action. So writing to our local MPs, lobbying them with pressure groups. Of course. Um, just trying to keep them accountable in terms of even policies that they've said that they would enact and then reneged on once in government. We famously heard about one political party's desire to abolish tuition fees. And then that same thing, <laughs> that same They were raised term. to 9,000 pounds. They were tripled. <laughs> exactly. Um, so accountability, particularly as it pertains to, you know, uh, the unjust exercise of government um, biblically, um, but also just m- more in general, making sure that what people have committed to for the good of society is upheld. Um, any other things? Uh, continuing, I mean, so sort of a, a foundational position to your one about um, Dami, about uh, writing to her MPs and so on, is just to be aware of what's going on locally. Um, you'll be surprised just how many things happen in your constituency. One that isn't particularly um, party aligned. Um, I think it's easy during election season to think it's Conservatives or Labour, it's, you know, left or right, and there is no sort of uh, nuance and discussion. But actually, when you get to the local level, you can see just the amount, because I mean, the, the, the likelihood, of, unless you're like in a really, really sort of stronghold seat, is that you're going to find councillors who are on diff who are really in different places working together on lots of issues they agree on which can help you discover nuance in political discussion and also help you appreciate the views of 
people you may not at first glance think you actually could respect um mm. so yeah the awareness can help um future discussions and involvement um even as li- as small as maybe once a year deciding i'm, I'm going to attend my public council meetings all council meetings are publicly held which means there are seats somewhere in that room where the public can just sit and watch uh, most of them have it online and they live stream it now and even if it's just yeah once a year let me see what is being discussed that can yeah. go a long way in helping you to understand how politics trickles down into the everyday affairs of the vast majority of people yeah that's actually quite a big one um yeah, I think I think you've you've almost just taken my point there in the last section, but essentially it's uh just ensuring that we um that we just stay involved with the political discussion. You don't necessarily know uh to what degree what degree of uh what level of effect you might actually be able to have upon um the votes even in your area just by making sure that you're discussing these things uh with people that you're that you're bringing to the forefront um things that should be considered uh, critically um and that should be thought about when it comes to things like for example abortion or things like freedom to to educate or you know or just even just just in terms of the stewardship the discussion that we were having previously with regards to the debt issues etc like bringing those things to the forefront of people's minds might actually begin to reform the way that people think about politics and people and how people think about the duty yeah. of the of the various politicians which they then vote into into power yeah i'm just sorry just on israel's point about being active um i think one of the things that we should be conscious of the fact that even if we're voting for a political party to institute some kind of policy that we see as good, it may not necessarily happen overnight. So if mm. we're saying, you know, we want, um, you know, further funds to be put towards uh, mental health institutions and providing shelter for the homeless, mm. I think these are things that Christians and churches can also get involved in providing yeah. some kind of facility for dealing with, with those types of issues. So don't just think that being active means lobbying, but it also means making yourself available mm. um, for the uh, for the for that kind of service. And lastly, but certainly not least, pray. Um, First Timothy mm. two, praying for all the authorities that we may be able to live a peaceable, quiet, and godly life in every dignified way. Mm. Um, and I guess just in closing, on my part as well, one thing that we should definitely remember is, irrespective of who wins irrespective of what style of voting system we have, whether you like it or not. And when all is said and done, we're never going to have a perfect government um, until Christ returns. Uh, Only then will we see what a true, uh, what a truly perfect, righteous, holy, good government looks like. And if anything, one thing that all these uh, current fallen rules do point us towards is the fact that only Christ can rule appropriately and justly and with equity. Um, in a holy manner in this uh, in, 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 in the world to come cool so with that being said guys we hope you found this a very edifying and useful mm. uh, conversation as it pertains to the general election on June 8th don't forget yep um, I mean it's too late now to register for yourself to vote <laughs> but don't forget to go in and vote if you are voting of course um, if you're not voting have those good discussions have those good discussions <laughs> yeah um, um, and we hope you know you've found this somewhat useful in in helping you to make your mind up about who you'll be voting for in the future on the eighth of June. Um, so have a good night. Or yeah, have a good day. Day. <laughs> it depends when you're listening whatever, to this. Yeah, yeah where, wherever you are listening to this, have a good something. Yeah. Take care. Cheers.